This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Hello, Trumpet Hour listeners, and welcome. I'm Philip Nice, and it is good to be with you today. Have you ever noticed how radio hosts and podcasters almost always start out? Hey, it's really great to be here. And well, we've got a great show for you today. Well, we have a good show for you today, and you can let me know if you think it's great or not. Letters at the trumpet.com. But I'll go ahead and step out on that limb and claim to you that it is, that it will be a good show. We'll talk about the end-to-end, heavily stacked, fully stuffed, jam-packed summer that we've had here at the offices of Trumpet Hour. We'll talk about the trumpet a little bit, why there is so much going on in addition to the trumpet, and whether you need more than just the trumpet, more than just the Philadelphia Trumpet, Trumpet Hour, the Trumpet Daily, and the Trumpet.com, which for all the daily output in radio and video and podcasting and articles, and for all the input of all the staff members involved, especially trumpet editors and hosts Stephen Fleury and Joel Hilliker, for all of that, there is yet still so much more. The main thing we are going to focus on in this program is an article that you really, really need to read. And ironically, it is not from thetrumpet.com. And yet, parts of this article that you really, really need to read, a couple dozen parts of it, in fact, match up perfectly with thetrumpet.com and with America Under Attack. And that's what we will spend most of our time on. But I just thought I'd start out by pointing out that all the trumpet-related media, of which there is much, is just part of the work being done here at the trumpet offices. The trumpet offices are, in fact, way more than just trumpet offices. And I can remember when they were much smaller, and that wasn't even the beginning. But we'll have to leave that reminiscence for another time, another show maybe. But like our introduction says, you are listening to the voice of the Trumpet Magazine when you're listening to Trumpet Hour. And for as much as there is going on with the Trumpet, there is a lot more going on with the publisher of the Trumpet. In fact, just if you take just this summer, just May, June, and July, when everything around here is notionally on summer break, those of us here on the headquarters campus of the Philadelphia Church of God, publisher of the Trumpet, have been involved in helping the PCG young people perform 16 shows in about a dozen cities of the history-based Irish dance production Celtic Throne. Thousands of miles, thousands of tickets, hundreds of comments and bits of feedback about how intriguing and how inspiring that show is and what it means and how wonderful it is to see happy and healthy and friendly and talented and humble young people working together like family to bring that to people. I could go on, but then I wouldn't get to the three personal appearance campaign lectures by Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry and Executive Editor Stephen Flurry, held partially in conjunction with some of those Celtic Throne performances. Or I wouldn't get to the, meanwhile, seven-week biblical archaeology dig in Jerusalem, or meanwhile, the ministerial conference here in Edmond, attended by some of our international and overseas trumpet staff. PCG ministers are not your typical preachers, and there were 98 ministers and their wives from eight countries and about a dozen states here for about a week, five days of lectures and events, and those of us who are staff headquarters members got to visit with them on the weekend and at our traditional staff dinner with a couple hundred or maybe, I think it might have been 250 people, if memory serves, and that's where Trumpet Hour creator Joel Hilliker was raised in rank to the rank of evangelist, as we mentioned before. Then straight into the youth camp that we also discussed with Mr. Hilliker, who was the assistant director there, but made time to stop by the studio, mountain biking, scrapes and all, if you happen to catch that show. I remember I was holding up the camp schedule and saying, there's a whole way of life on here. They had uh, about 120 campers, most of whom had never really done most of these activities, I'll just rattle them off. Archery, basketball, baking, canoeing, ceramics, golf, Irish dance, regular dance, electronics, photography, water skiing, wrestling, plus things like budgeting, caulking, cleaning, hairstyling, job interviewing, knot tying, obstacles, wall hangings, wiring, woodwork, capture the flag, speeches, track and field. And that was all just from one week. It was about a little less than three weeks. Uh, The session was a little less than three weeks. And that was just from one week. And we had also that same week, we had what we call marquee matches. 
And this year, the guys at broadcasting, which was also a class that uh, campers could take, actually were live streaming the the matches, the soccer matches, basketball. I think flag football was one uh, to parents and other PCG members, which was a little bit amazing to me. But there we were. And uh, I was on the softball staff and we tried to do it up with concessions and manicuring the field. Uh, we softball players are baseball players are particular about our, our field. So it was really enjoyable to all be out there raking and mowing and trimming and striping and all, all of that painting uh, and decorating. And then we had the music and the national anthem, the whole thing. Uh, we had three stars up there on the outfield fence acknowledging the upcoming visit of General Flynn as well. And we had our makeshift uh, but pretty good flagpole for the anthem. And the anthem was actually my favorite moment from camp this year. I'll just share that with you. Our flag, uh, after the first game, the boys game, our flag got hung up on itself a little bit. So we took it down and I asked one of the dorm counselors if we could use their flag uh, that they were walking around with the whole session. And she said yes. And standing with her there in the lunch line was a young camper, one of the youngest at camp, I think, who was excited, excited, excited to ask if she could be the one to hold it during the anthem, uh, the color guard, if you will. She had just such a earnest and a happy and a good attitude. It just really left an impression on me. So her counselor and I said yes. And I told her where to took her to the field and told her where to stand on the field. And then uh, kind of in passing, I just said, well, we'll all be looking at the flag during the anthem. So maybe you should try to keep your eye on it too, if you can. And so the music played and the, the camper sang and the wind blew and that little girl had to crane her neck for most of the anthem and she did not take her eye off that flag and uh so that was moving to me so young camper if you're out there thank you so just camp by itself uh was a full-on jam-packed three weeks and uh, we actually part of it was introducing campers uh, who are interested to what it's like to work on the trumpet or here at kpcg or how the trumpet and other media are translated into different languages. Uh, all of this, and I'm sure I'm missing some things, and then the main usual work of the PCG keeps churning. The Philadelphia Trumpet, the Royal Vision, True Education, the Bible Story podcasts, the personal correspondence. Yes, we have a personal correspondence department that answers your questions. Uh, that's one way to use letters at thetrumpet.com. Uh, plus working on new books on new subjects, plus working on the grounds and the equipment and the buildings, plus getting ready for K through 12 classes and the college academic year, which are now almost upon us. Uh, oh, and the visit of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, which I mentioned in passing. Uh, so we've got all the usual work of the PCG churning, as I said, but then this unusual, extraordinary visit by General Flynn, uh, open to the public, of course, here at Armstrong Auditorium. So we're working on getting that ready as well. So the auditorium, I mean, it, we have hosted other special visitors too, Governor Mary Fallon, Representative James Lankford, journalist Melanie Phillips, and and some diplomats from Azerbaijan and Russia, uh, several, a series of uh, Israeli diplomats, archaeologist Yosef Garfinkel not too long ago, and of course, dozens of international musicians that come for the concert series. Um, and if you like, you can read some coverage of some of those visits at pcg.church slash news pcg.church slash news. But having General Flynn here and speaking is definitely special, not the least because of his importance described in America Under Attack. And we'll talk more about America Under Attack in a couple of minutes. Uh, meanwhile, like I said, we're working on the September 2023 issue of The Trumpet. So the main thing I think you could say about this busy summer and about all of this and, and the reason I kind of introduced the show with it here is that there is so much more than The Trumpet and that you need so much more than the trumpet. Probably the best single way to see that the trumpet and all that we talk about uh, here in Trumpet Hour or uh, on the Trumpet Daily or on the trumpet.com or in the Philadelphia Trumpet Magazine, that all of that is actually just part of a much larger whole. Probably the best single way to see that would be to subscribe to Royal Vision, and that's the sister magazine to the trumpet. Uh, successor to the Good News magazine, for some of you who might remember that, or might remember The Plain Truth and Herbert W. Armstrong. 
So send us an email if you like, letters at thetrumpet.com and subscribe to Royal Vision. Like we said in a previous show, all the magazines, all the books, all the media, all the everything is and always has been for about 90 total years now, always has been completely free. There's a whole way of life here and the trumpet is just part of that. Obama is back in the headlines in a big way right now, and this time not necessarily because he wants to be, but whether writers and editors and station managers and all the decision makers uh, are devoting articles and airtime to this man or not, whether the news cycle includes him or not, or whether it absolutely revolves around him or not, whether the coverage is favorable or not, Trump editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry has been consistently saying Watch Barack Obama. Mr. Flurry says that enormous, enormous transformations in this country trace straight back to this one man. So here in the Trumpet Hour studio with me right now is trumpet writer Andrew Miller. Hello. He's a frequent contributor, of course, and if you're a regular listener, you know that on Fridays he covers the Anglo-America region for the Week in Review. Andrew, we're focusing in on Barack Obama Sometimes he's in the news, sometimes he's not. What do we know about what he's been doing lately? Yeah, like you said, he's always uh, very busy. He's the first president in, uh, I think, about 100 years who's actually didn't leave Washington, D.C. after his term. He has his own mansion in Washington, D.C., which is a happening place. There's always people coming in and going out. It's a, it's a nerve bed of activity in Washington, D.C. And so, you know, he very much has his finger in many pies, Um and likes working behind the scenes. You don't necessarily, we don't have transcripts or press reports of, of these types of meetings like you do the meetings that happen in the White House. Uh, over the past summer, the only really two good uh, leaks of where Barack Obama's mind uh, is or what he's really working on is we do know, we've had some like anonymous leaks, though he, uh, he met with Joe Biden uh, at one point this summer, which is actually notable. They don't... Um, the two of them don't necessarily actually meet a lot. They have people that go between them, um, Susan Rice, Jake Sullivan, and some others, uh, but they don't actually meet in person much. But he, um, they met in person this uh, summer, and Obama really stressed to Biden uh, about how formidable a candidate Donald Trump is going to be this coming election. He's saying, saying that a lot of Democrats underestimate Trump, but he said he has a huge power base and uh, and they should not underestimate him this next election. Uh, and so they need to be taking precautions to keep him from regaining power. That's probably the biggest thing he's been doing in the news for headlines. There's also one that he actually didn't try to keep as quiet as this one. This one he put on Twitter, uh, really criticizing Republicans' efforts trying to keep obscene school books out of schools. Um, there's a number of books, I think about 175 different titles that have, some of them are I mean, extremely vulgar about like a two teenage boys stealing wine from their parent and then experimenting sexually uh, in the gra like graphic novel style that Republicans are trying to get out of schools and, and oddly, odd stakes for a former president to take. Uh, he's really nailed his... Uh, flag to the mast or whatever the saying is there to, to make sure that um, the world knows that he's definitely for those books staying in schools. Yeah, that's quite something to come out and, and very publicly support. Uh, I did see that uh, a little bit of coverage about that Biden-Obama meeting uh, at the White House. And uh, I've been 
looking a little bit to see like how often do they meet do they meet often like you said it doesn't seem like they do or or it's at least not publicized uh but this one article uh from the washington post uh, about that late june lunch between biden and obama uh, said that Obama was visiting the White House for what Biden aides described as a regular catch-up between the two men. So I don't know how often they're meeting, but uh, as you said, we know that uh, uh, Barack Obama is in Washington and he's having uh, he's exerting an influence on what flows out of the White House. But what has really caught my attention as maybe the biggest news article this year, in my opinion, is that article that you and I have talked about a little bit already, The Obama Factor. Yeah, that uh, really a uh, barn burner of an article uh, written by uh, David Samuels, who'd interviewed um, David Garrow, who's a pretty famous biographer, uh, wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning piece on um, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Uh, and just about six years ago, wrote a 14, over a 1400 word I'm sorry, 1400 page book uh, called Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama, which is probably uh, it's been criticized for being kind of dry uh, in places, but uh, probably the most comprehensive biography of Obama ever written. Um, uh, before we kind of get into his uh, Garrow's interview comments here, because that biography really does tie into a little bit of what we've been talking about already. Um, in the, the putting together the biography, Garrow uh, did what surprisingly <laughs> few people had done before for a former president, and he, he tracked down everything he could find about the women Barack Obama dated. Um, he had three girlfriends before he married Michelle uh, and tried to like interview or um, get his hands on correspondence with these women, uh, which really sheds a lot of light that other biographers won't have on kind of the dark years <laughs> of Barack Obama, like his college years where like we know very little about what he was doing. Um, one, he actually had to go to like, I think I'm, uh, one college and actually get original transcripts from some letters uh, between Obama and his girlfriend, Alex, that originally had a paragraph redacted when he turned it over to biographers. And so they were able to like, they had to like go to a library and like press it against something like trace with a pencil to to actually get what the redacted paragraph said. Uh, and it's actually all about um, Obama admitting a strange thing to admit to one's girlfriend, uh, that he uh, routinely fantasized about having sex with other men. So basically just showing that, yeah, his mind's not, <laughs> he's not as straight as he pretends. I mean, I remember back when he was president, even people like Rush Limbaugh would say that like, well, Barack Obama's bad for the nation, but if one thing you can say for him is he's got a pretty good family life. Uh, and then actually you start digging a little deeper and um, Garrow really um, goes, in, uh, goes into some depth about just some of the um, uh, perverted sexual practices Obama had gotten uh, involved with in college and uh interesting because when he wrote that letter that's why i'm bringing this up when he wrote that letter about keeping the perverted books in schools uh he said that these books influenced like thousands of people or millions of people or some number of people across the nation including myself showing that like that basically at least admitting that like he'd read some of these books growing up and that maybe <laughs> that may be um a contributing factor as to why he's uh um, having these fantasies he's writing to his girlfriend about in this new biography, just kind of showing some of uh, the depth of the uh, perversion in this case that a lot of Americans did not know about when um, he was saying that he believed marriage between was between one man and one woman back in 2008 so he could get elected. So that article, The Obama Factor, that's at tabletmag.com, uh, The Obama Factor. And again, this is tablet author David Samuels, in discussion with Obama biographer David Garrow. You mentioned the other uh, biographies of Barack Obama don't have the same, uh, some of the same details. Uh, that's because a lot of the biographies are by Barack Obama <laughs> that we have available. We don't have a whole lot written about uh, Obama's early life outside of uh, this, this book, Rising Star. And, uh, and so the the author of the article is interviewing the author of the biography 
And he starts off with Barack Obama's romantic life. Uh, that's how this article starts out. Uh, and there are startling revelations there, as you said, but that's not even the beginning of it. Yeah, that is interesting because, as you mentioned, he there are <laughs> an almost humorous amount of Obama autobiographies for for a sixty year old man. There's Dream for My Father, Audacity of Hope, uh, Promised Land. I think the the famous satire website, which I enjoy, uh, Babylon B has predicting that he's going to write a fourth memoir soon about the trials and tribulations he faced writing his first three memoirs. Uh, <laughs> but um, there's a interesting interchange in one of the memoirs he made. I think it's Dreams from My Father about this breakup he had with his girlfriend over an argument over racism. Uh, and then for a long time, people who didn't vet Obama nearly as well as Garrow did were trying to track down this girlfriend and couldn't there were details that didn't add up and eventually it came out that that like that particular girlfriend didn't exist she was a composite girlfriend uh where he took like basically every race-based conflict he had with three women uh and made it into like a new <laughs> composite figure of what happened uh garrow actually tracked down uh a cut well at least two of these three women uh the one alex is the one that where the letter was admitting about him fantasizing about uh about men uh but the second one sheila jagger uh they actually inter uh he actually interviewed and found some pretty good information here that were um i guess looking at <laughs> uh her recollection here they'd fought over um what was believed to be obama's refusal to condemn black racism like uh he was all about white all all against whites being racist but wouldn't condemn blacks being racist and he said that it was definitely an element that had contributed to their like separating is that like he he wouldn't admit that blacks could be racist and that put a strain on the relationship but the straw that broke the camel's back is they saw um they saw an exhibit on eichmann and he um according to um uh, Sheila, at least, he also refused to condemn anti-Semitism. And so they'd, they'd been growing apart over his inability to say that blacks could be racist. Uh, but then when he refused to say that anti-Semitism was wrong, uh, it, um, it broke apart, uh, which is interesting uh, because now you're you're looking at <laughs> the mind of young Barack Obama, and uh, we know he's fantasizing about having sex with other men, which explains why he's pushing these perverted school books on American children. Uh, but you also really understand his a lot of his Israeli policy as president when you realize that he broke up with one of his girlfriends over uh, if if her story is believed uh, an inability to condemn anti-Semitism. Um, because you know he's been very biased against Netanyahu and the the Jewish people. That's um, uh, one of the reasons. Uh, 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 our editor in chief's book, America Under Attack, uh, talks about him being like an end time, <laughs> an end time Antiochus, who was also a great uh, enemy of the of the Jewish people. Um, right. One of the uh, subheads, and you're you probably going to bring this up, but one of the subheads in this article is the emperor and the siege of jerusalem a, a clear historical reference uh to to a powerful powerful figure and the uh policy on the jews on israel again that's at the as this article if if you haven't read it tabletmag.com uh it's not 1400 pages long but it feels like it is it's very long and not all of it is uh super relevant but um Go to the or go to tabletmag.com uh, and look for the Obama factor. And then again, the subhead we're talking about is the Emperor and the Siege of Jerusalem. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, yeah, like I said, long piece, but well worth the read. A ton of details, uh, kind of doing some like connective tissue between um, uh, President Barack Obama's Israeli policy. Um, and uh and young barack obama we like i said we knew we knew more about barack obama's childhood like his 
father was a socialist from Kenya who met his mother in Hawaii at a Russian language class. And he grew up in Hawaii and was knew Frank Marshall Davis, who was a communist for a long time. Then he kind of drops off the map for a while. We know roughly, we know what universities he went to, but there's not a ton of information about what he did at college. Um, and then, like I said, he entered politics. So the college is kind of the dark years where, uh, I think the article at one point even talks about like his transformation during college. And um, we know a little bit uh, from, a, there's a man named John Drew, who was the head of a Marxist union. Uh, I've actually had email correspondence with him before, um, uh, complimenting one of the articles I wrote called Unriddling. Uh, the Worldview. The Worldview of Barack Obama. Uh, we can put that in the show notes. I, I mentioned John Drew in there, and for any of our listeners, we'll just give you some inside information that he actually wrote me, and uh, uh, and he really liked that article. Uh, so it has <laughs> the, the parts about John Drew, at least, have John Drew's endorsement. <laughs> uh, uh, so we had a little bit about John Drew talking about what Barack Obama was like in college, but now you're getting more information from his girlfriends, which is something that... Uh, that David Garrow, like I said, he <laughs> he had to work for it. I had to go to a university and track down some old letters and like trace it with a stencil. But uh, he he got the information, uh, even though it was buried. It was buried pretty deep. And uh, it's worth noting that everyone we're talking about here um, is very liberal, uh, or was uh, I think still is uh, in the case of uh, David Samuels the author of the tablet mag I, I believe he's he would be left of center uh david garrow the author of rising star biography left of center um and and the girlfriends of barack obama uh that uh garrow tracked down um also very left of center but barack obama to them is way 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 left right like something beyond left yeah there was actually he had a clip that was kind of funny actually i'll give i'll give him credit when he's funny uh but barack obama they were they were accusing him of being a communist in college which is true uh and he he's like yeah he's like don't read too much into it he's like I, he's like i mainly got into marxism to impress the girls uh which then when you actually look at some of his letters about some of the other fantasies who were happening he was happening you were you do wonder about that and that is one thing they garrow noted with the letters like it is interesting it's that um uh for women he was supposedly dating as they said they're the letters they're and not that we read too much into this. I mean, Winston Churchill might have been the same, but they uh, they definitely lean towards more his thoughts on politics and less on like what do your eyes look like. Uh, <laughs> but it's <laughs> uh, but yeah, but no. For the point is, it's like definitely these um, Obama. He he admitted to getting into Marxism to go after the girls. So it's like he's 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 liking very all the women he dated were very radically left wing. Maybe not as radically left wing as he was. Uh, like I said, one even breaking up with them because he wouldn't condemn <laughs> black racism and anti-Semitism. Uh, and then uh, even David Guerra himself used to be a democratic socialist. I think he may have moderated a little bit. I don't think he's a democratic socialist anymore, but he's still on the le yeah, left of center is a good way to describe it. And that's what comes out uh, several times in this article. And this article isn't just about Barack Obama's um, uh divergence from even Marxist leftism, but but it's kind of a wide-ranging conversation and a lot of it isn't even relevant uh, to, what, to what we're interested in. But several times it comes out in this article that he, this man is something different than a Democrat, than a leftist, than a, a Marxist leftist. Uh, and <laughs> In one uh, passage, he says uh, that he's kind of this creature from another planet. <laughs> like, he, um, you know, just in um, just in passing, you know, kind of a, a light uh, reference there. He doesn't dwell on that. But he does repeatedly say this man is different, just very different, a different force on American politics than a leftist, a Democrat, or even a Marxist. Right, yeah, it's yeah altogether, and um, that's why we've used the 
uh, Mr. Flurry's used the Antiochus angle. Another reason is just that Antiochus was famous for pretending to be someone he's not. And, uh, and we even saw, like, during the midterm elections last year, it was Barack Obama who was coming out and telling Democrats to, like, hey, tone down the uh, crazy defund the police, uh, radical transgenderism, uh, and other talk on the campaign trail. Now, and yet at the same time as pushing for these radical transgender uh, and sexually obscene books and libraries. Uh, and so he's <laughs> he's telling people to like campaign down the rhetoric on the campaign trail because he realizes that like to be competitive in an election, you do have to pretend you're more moderate than they are. It's very much in the style of like Saul Alinsky, who uh, told the 1960s hippies to like take a shower, get a haircut, put on a suit, uh, and infiltrate the system from within. Uh, the inner Barack Obama is very much a <laughs> radical transgender 1970s hippie um uh but he wears a suit and looks pretty clean cut and uh and appeals to um the more moderate side of the democratic party as well and even many independents actually i think 2008 there are even some republicans who voted for him so it definitely just shows that antiochus angle of just really being able to use uh flattery and deception to uh to get what you want there is a ton in this article it meanders through martin luther king jr and other subjects and uh parts that don't stand out but the parts that do stand out the parts that shock you the parts that go off like bombs uh and the parts that match america under attack by gerald flurry original copyright date 2013 are tucked in among lots of other information and thoughts so it's not like these authors are are, are trying to uh, are you know from some conservative blog trying to just tear down Barack Obama for some sort of short-term political you know news cycle goal? Um, they're just having this wide-ranging conversation about that biography, and if you know what to look for, you will be amazed. You'll be stunned. These statements match America under attack. Copyright date, original copyright date, 2013. Now, after Barack Obama was elected in 2008, Mr. Flurry wrote about it in an article titled The Radical Left and the American Constitution. And that article is fascinating to read right now because he addresses the election of Barack Obama and he evaluates Obama based on what he had said earlier about the United States Constitution. And Mr. Fleury warns that that uh, Democrats, including Obama, are not faithful or even friendly toward the Constitution. And he writes, quote, I believe Mr. Obama sincerely thinks his ideas will solve America's problems, and I'm not saying he is malicious, end quote. He was the new president, and Mr. Fleury was not just automatically against him, uh, you know, as, as some extraordinary person or extraordinary uh, extreme, but he was against the ideas that he had stated, that Obama had stated about ignoring the Constitution. So Mr. Flory comes into it that way. And the substance of his message is the stated principles of the leftists and the stated principles of the Constitution. And he, he comes at it that way, and it's uh, impressive how well that 2008 article stands up even today. But very soon after that, Mr. Flurry finds that it goes deeper, way, way deeper. Barack Obama is prophesied in the Bible. He is way more than just another Democrat politician. He is not sincere. And yes, he is malicious. And for the past 15 years, and especially the past 10 years with America under attack, Mr. Flurry has been sounding the alarm on this particular man. Whether that man is in office or not, whether that man is in the headlines or not, whether that man's being celebrated or not, whether conservatives and opponents are even paying attention to him or not, the warnings have been consistent in the trumpet and in America under attack. And now we have the Obama factor. You know, not a, not a trumpet.com article from an article from tabletmag.com, the Obama factor. And I'm going to read a number of sentences from this article. And these are, again, these are not my opinions. These are not my assertions. 
These are the opinions and the facts expressed by two leftist writers, one of whom interviewed a thousand people to write a 1400 page biography of a leftist president. And I happen to know that he has sharply different beliefs than those of us here at the trumpet. And yet these sentences from author biographer, David Garrow and writer, David Samuels, that I'm going to read to you match up with America under attack over and over America under attack. Young Barack Obama had a tragic and terrible childhood family matters. This was a tragic failure of family that would open the way to a massively bigger tragedy. America under attack. The press did not vet 2008 presidential candidate Barack Obama. Uh, you remember Tom Brokaw and Charlie Rose. Actually, you probably don't remember because it wasn't emphasized very much, uh, except for here on the trumpet. Tom Brokaw, Charlie Rose admitted days before the election that journalists did not understand Barack Obama's worldview. They admitted that they and other journalists got their understanding of Obama from Obama's own two biographies written by Obama. And these comments uh, that Brokaw and Rose were making, they were not warnings. They were not, oh, you know, pay attention. We should have vetted him. They were just mentioned in passing in between chuckles and comments and, and about how fascinating Obama was. And yet at that time, Mr. Flurry zeroed in on that statement, those few statements from that interview. And so the trumpet zeroed in on that statement. We did not vet him. And we've been emphasizing that now for almost 15 years. And it was included, of course, in America Under Attack. America Under Attack, Obama has a hatred for Israel. Oh, America Under Attack, Obama intends to make racial conflict in America worse. America Under Attack, Obama has deviant views on things. America Under Attack, Obama is hiding who he is. America Under Attack, Obama is hiding what he believes. America Under Attack, Obama is different from other radical politicians. He's different from other people. America Under Attack, Obama is fundamentally transforming the United States of America. America Under Attack and the trumpet said that statement over and over and over. Again, one that was overlooked. Many people still overlook it. Now people are starting to realize, people are starting to attach that phrase that Obama said right before he was elected. We are going to fundamentally transform, I am going to fundamentally transform, he meant, the United States of America. So if you're at a computer or can get to one, go to tabletmag.com. Is, uh, of course, this website has nothing to do with the trumpet.com, but go to tabletmag.com and find the Obama factor and listen to some of these quotes that I will read you and search for them. Search for them. If you are on a like an Apple brand computer, you can press command F. Fun little trick there. If you didn't already know, command F. If you press those two keys at the same time, then you can find certain terms. Uh, that, I, that I'm going to read to you and see it for yourself. If you're on a computer that's not an Apple brand computer, you can press Control F, those two at the same time, and then type in the, what we're talking about, uh, the quotes that I'm reading to you. Uh, type in the word fiction or father or idol, for example, and bring up americaunderattack.com at the same time, if you like. All right, so first, Barack Obama's past. The biography writer, Garrow, did have to do some real digging, like you said, Andrew, and you say that his writing style is very methodical and factual, his book is 1,400 pages long, and some of his information took some real digging, like you said, but some of it did not. Reporters, hundreds and thousands of reporters did not dig into Barack Obama's past. They did not do basic basic diligence in in not trying to attack Obama necessarily, but just find out about his past. What was his worldview? Uh, what does his girlfriend have to say about uh, what he was like at, at this or that period of his life? And yet what comes up repeatedly in this Obama Factor article is that Obama, because journalists for some reason would not challenge him, he invented his own past. So quote from the Obama factor. He wants people to believe his story for me to conclude that dreams from my father was historical fiction 
That infuriated him. Quote, Dreams from my father is so fictionalized. Quote, Or to put it another way, I'm watching this guy make himself up. Quote, The best way to understand Barack Obama is that he is a literary creation of Barack Obama, the writer, who authored the novel of his own life. Quote, he replaced that self with fiction. Quote, it's so inaccurate. And again, this is about uh, Obama's own biography of, or autobiography. Quote, it's so inaccurate, whether about the dynamics among the guys in Hawaii or what's going on in the community group on the far south side, and it completely omits women. I've, al I've always thought that there'd eventually be a feminist critique of Obama because his mother and all the girlfriends they're not there. They don't exist in Obama's own autobiographies. Okay. Another point from America Under Tech, Barack Obama's past, his actual past, not, not his invented past, uh, what little we know about it. Here's what the Obama Factor article says. Could have been, could have been right out of America Under Attack. Quote, Rising Star, Garrow's biography of Obama, is a tragic story about a young man who was deeply wounded by the abandonment of both his white mother and his black father. This, well, he, he's, he talks about when he was writing the biography, he talked to one of Obama's lawyers and the lawyer told him, quote, whatever you do, don't ask him about his father. Another quote. I read Dreams from My Father and thought, this is a crock. It's not history. It's all make-believe. Who knows what the real story is? So all those quotes about this man who became the powerful president, transformative president of the United States, no, came out of nowhere. He had a past, but it was an invented past. It was He wrote it himself. Or... Uh, there's arguments out there that he had help writing it himself, but he shaped his past. And then Garrow says that when he's researching this, there's, there's clear things that just are factually inaccurate about his past. So it makes you wonder who is the father you're getting the dreams from in dreams from my father. So that's from me. That's not from the article, but okay. Back to, one statement after another from this article, the Obama factor, tabletmag.com. He talks about, quote, understanding the man that so many of us refuse to see outside of the myth that he created for himself. Quote, it seems more likely that the character Obama fashioned in dreams had been defined by Obama as being beyond the reach of normal reportorial <laughs> scrutiny. Indeed, Garrow's biography of Obama's early years is filled with such corrections of a historical record that Obama more or less invented himself. Quote, based on years of careful record searching and patient interviewing, Rising Star highlights a remarkable lack of curiosity on the part of mainstream reporters and institutions about a man who almost instantaneously was treated less like a politician and more like the idol of an inter-elite cult. Remember, America Under Attack, it talks, it devotes a lot of space very early on to the swooning. Uh, uh, the reporter talking about how, yeah, we swoon around Obama. And they're like, do you do it? He's like, oh, yeah, totally. I, I swoon uh, in front, you know, if I'm in his uh, presence. And we have emphasized that over and over and over. That, scene, that thing that a lot of people, a lot of reporters, a lot of... Uh, you know, everyday Americans could just skim right over that, just like the we didn't vet him quote, just like so many other things, uh, like this uh, quote from Colbert that we'll come to. Quote, this is the Obama factor, quote, my own read of Obama has always been that he is a skillful elite pleaser with a radical streak. And this quote about his, uh, his public life and his private life, talking about how leaders have a little bit of both. He says, quote, I can make the case that Obama's public life was the amoral part. And is Barack Obama just another Democrat politician? Is he just another president? Is he just another former president? 
the Obama factor, quote, I remember the first time I was struck by Obama as being a personality who existed outside the normal confines of American politics. Quote, he's not normal, as in not a normal politician or a normal human being. This is a quote about him marrying uh, his wife, Michelle. She knows who, she, quote, she knows who she is. She grows up in a close, loving family, an extended family, and then she ends up marrying a creature from another planet. He talks about, quote, his now stratospheric levels of personal vanity, that he's, quote, unable to remember or acknowledge where he had shortcomings or failures. Quote, both groups, talking about white and black Americans, know that this is not a representative American black person. It's something else. A quote from later on. He is an administrator or a guide from another planet who has come to bestow his genius upon these benighted people with whom he does not fundamentally identify. Quote, well, Barack Obama is not a normal politician. He is the strange combination of a college professor and a person who has ideas about his place in history. He decided that this deal was going to be, the Iran deal, was going to be the reason Barack Obama was going to be on Mount Rushmore. Quote, I wanted to go back to something about Barack I've mentioned twice now. Barack never had any loyalty toward any of these people, the people in his past. Quote, but again, and this is not the usual sort of thing I say, but Barack doesn't want to be close with people who are his equals. None of the people who are ostensibly his best friends are anywhere close to his equal. And then, as we mentioned, that section, The Emperor and the Siege of Jerusalem, a subhead about Barack Obama's treatment of Israel. Quote, Obama's hostility to American exceptionalism also seemed linked to his hostility to Israel or more specifically to America's identification with Israel. Later on, quote, Joe Biden is not running that part of his administration, foreign policy in the Middle East. Obama is. He doesn't even have to pick up the phone because all of his people are already inside the White House. They hold the Iran file. Quote, there are obviously large parts of White House policymaking that belong to Barack Obama, because they're staffed by his people who worked for him and no doubt report back to him. Personnel is policy, as they say in Washington. This is, quote, to me, a, a very odd and kind of spooky arrangement. Spooky because it is happening outside the constitutional framework of the U.S. government, and yet somehow it's been placed off the list of permitted subjects to report on. Quote, so Obama starts out as an eloquent opponent of the Patriot Act, etc., etc. By the end of his presidency, his people are unmasking intercepts of his political opponents every day, and the FBI is spying on Donald Trump. Again, these are two writers that are not Donald Trump supporters. Uh, they certainly don't believe he has any sort of role uh, forecasted in the, the Bible. So they would, they would disagree, I'm sure, with, with America under attack, right, left, and center, and yet they... So many of the things in this article match perfectly with what was written in America Under Attack a decade ago. Uh, they also mentioned this quote, which again, this is another one of those quotes that you could you could skip over. And I, I would skip over some of these if Trump editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry did not dwell on these and, and emphasize these quotes. So this is one uh, from Barack Obama uh, speaking to Stephen Colbert in 2015 at the end of his, toward the end of his president, second term in the presidency, Stephen Colbert is a comedian. Like he's, he's just this average late night comedian. And here's a quote from the article that Obama might enjoy serving as a third term president in all but name running the government from his iPhone was a thought expressed in public by Obama himself, both before and after he left office. Quote, this is quoting Obama now, I used to say that if I can make an arrangement where I had a stand-in or a front man or front woman, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats looking through the stuff, and I could sort of deliver the lines while someone was doing all the talking and ceremony, I'd be fine with that because I found the work fascinating. End quote. 
All right. Oh, well, I was just joking. Colbert's a comedian. No. Mr. Flurry seized on that, saw the truth in that, saw the boldness of that to say that in public. And now, years later, we come along and some other people who know Obama well, who've written hundreds and hundreds of pages on Obama, who've interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people about Obama, say, pay attention to that quote. Again, these are things I would have noticed at the time, maybe, but definitely forgotten eight or 10 or 15 years ago. And yet here in 2023 is Barack Obama doing exactly what is in America under attack. And again, I don't think David Garrow or David Samuels are into America under attack or the Trumpet.com at all. And that's kind of the point. These two men are coming at it from a completely different perspective, completely different perspectives, plural. And yet these quotes are matching up. The last quote from this article, The Obama Factor, that I'll read to you has to do with the audacity of hope. This is one of those books Obama wrote, along with some helpers, to define his life and to launch his first presidential campaign. The title is derived from a sermon from his longtime pastor, you might remember, a racist anti-Jewish preacher named Jeremiah Wright. But here's a quote. It's from, this one's from David Samuels, who's the author of the article, not the biography. And it's chilling. Notice what he noticed. Quote, there was also a moment in the audacity of hope of a warning. Whatever happens next is on you people, not me. Whatever happens next is on you people, not me. And what was it that happened next? And what is it that is still happening over lunch at the White House with aggressive social media posts about sexualizing children? What is it that's happening next? We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. So if you do one thing today that you wouldn't have otherwise done, go to tabletmag.com and find the Obama factor. And if you do two things, go over to thetrumpet.com and find Unriddling the Radical Worldview of President Obama. Unriddling the Radical Worldview of President Obama. That is, of course, by our own Andrew Miller. So, Andrew Miller, we appreciate you keeping an eye on Barack Obama and taking us through this article. And uh, as well as your weekly work on the week interview. And we'll look forward to seeing you on Friday. Yeah, look forward to being there. Yeah, thanks for having me. That is our show. Thanks to Andrew Miller for not just coming on the show today, but for hours each week spent monitoring and researching the news, not to mention history, not to mention the Bible and what the Trumpet and Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry have said about uh, the Bible and about the history and about the news. Uh, thanks also to Jesse Hester, without whom this episode would be two guys talking to two microphones in an otherwise empty room. We appreciate all of your work, Jesse. I've mentioned letters at the trumpet.com a couple times. Uh, what have been the standout things worth sharing for you this summer? Do you want a free subscription to Royal Vision Magazine? We talked about that. Did you read the Obama Factor? What did you think? Email me, letters at the trumpet.com. So thank you for listening. I look forward to being back with you and with our panel of trumpet writers on Friday to bring you the week in review edition of Trumpet Hour. <laughs>